Well, we're going to read some passages. Go ahead and praise the Lord. That's good. Amen. Amen. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 17. We've been talking about the last days. Question, how many of you think Jesus is coming soon? All right. Well, then I'm preaching to the choir, but the choir knows a whole lot of people that aren't part of the choir. So we need to understand the times and be able to witness of him. Now, you remember that Jesus was asked of his disciples three questions when he pointed to the temple and said, there's not going to be one stone left upon another. And that just blew them away. And so they said, Lord, when will these things be? And what will be the signs of your return and of the end of the age? Now, Jesus didn't refute that question. He didn't say, what are you talking about? Returning. He answered the question, affirming he's coming back. So he gave some general signs I'm going to show you in a minute. But he, about halfway through his prophetic discourse, he mentions two men. Now, let's read about these two men. Luke 16, verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, now that's Noah, now we come to Lot. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Everybody say, that's a sober word, right? So you know what Jesus did? He affirmed that he's returning. He affirmed the historicity of Noah. And he affirmed the historicity, that is the reality of Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed by fire from heaven. So Jesus then said, even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, I pray for your blessing upon it. And help us, Lord, to be a people that walk in its truth and are not deceived. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and tell him this is going to be good today and Jesus is coming back. And, you know, every service we record for, for radio and, um, and for the uh, Internet and, and video, I love amens, and I love, I love uh, you know, when, you, when the Word witnesses to you, you feel free. But just keep in mind, it's being recorded, so let me get a few sentences out without an amen, because this is an amening message. And you'll amen me down. Not that I don't like amens. But uh, just keep that in mind because I want everybody to be able to focus on this word. This is a somber word. This, this is really a somber word. Uh, uh, but it's a good word in the end. And should we not be ministering on what Jesus said? You know? And Jesus said these things. He was asked, what are going to be the signs of your return? He said, here's what you look for. I'm going to give you a sign. Now, a sign points to something. You don't pitch tent at a sign. You don't build your house at a sign. You let a sign direct you to a place. 
So a sign points to a place, to an event. And what is the sign of his return? Well, the signs he gave us point to the day that Jesus literally appears in the sky. He returns. You remember when he was talking to his disciples right before he reascended to God? He, he, he gave them some instructions, and then it says, in their sight, he just ascended and disappeared into the clouds. And then an angel said to the disciples, why are you staring at the clouds? In the same way he ascended, he will one day again descend. He will return. Now, when Jesus was asked, what are the signs of your return? He responded with, with several general signs. And I want you to notice as I read these, these are sort of signs in nature. These are natural signs that we would call in, in our news today acts of God. But they are natural signs in nature. Listen to what he said. He said, you're going to see earthquakes, famines, diseases, pestilences, false Christ, false prophets, all appearing. Now, here's the key. He said, it's going to be like a woman in labor pains. Now, how does a woman go into labor pains? She, the, the, the pains start. She's great with child. The pains start, and they grow greater and greater in intensity and frequency until finally the child is born. Now, Jesus didn't say, these are death pains. He said, the signs I'm giving you are labor pains. And, and what is the child that's going to be born when these signs are completed? The beautiful new kingdom of God will be born, will be birthed into the world where Jesus Christ rules the world. Okay? So he said, we've always had earthquakes, always had diseases, always had false Christs and prophets and deception. But he said, as my return draws near, they're going to appear and they're going to happen with increased frequency and intensity. They're, they're going to be multiplied. They're going to be stronger than normal, more intensified. You're going to see earthquakes, but, but major earthquakes. You're going to see pestilences, but worldwide. You're going to see deception on a grand scale. It's going to happen, it's going to happen squared. So that's the message of the general signs. But then Jesus brought up two men. He brought up Noah, and he brought up Abraham's nephew, Lot. Isn't it interesting that right in the middle of all these signs, he brought up these two men? And here's what he said. As it was in the days of Noah, it's going to be that way in the world when I return. And as it was in the days of Lot, it's going to be that way in the world when I return. Now, who did he say that to? Well, he said it to his disciples, but watch this. He prophesied of things both near and far, soon and much later. The temple being destroyed happened just a few decades later. But Jesus, the prophet, was, was staring down the tunnel of time, and he was looking into our day, the day when he would return. And he said, I'm going to give you some signs that will point to my return. Some signs that will let you know that it is near even at the doors. And Jesus, the prophet, never missed. Ever. 
Now, remember last week, if you were here, we talked about the days of Noah. Well, if, if our time is going to be like Noah's time, then what did Noah's time look like? Well, quick summary. In Noah's day, there was widespread apostasy. That means that a lot of people were departing from the truth, from the faith, from their walk with God, and were going off to live in the flesh, and, and, and really they just abandoned their walk, apostasy. He said, you're going to see that before I return. There was extreme wickedness in Noah's day. Not just normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill wickedness, but extreme wickedness where it says that the wickedness of men reached up into the nostrils of God and resounded through the throne room of heaven. It was so wicked that God said, I'm going to have to judge the world. There was pervasive violence in the days of Noah. The Bible says in Genesis 6, the earth in Noah's day was filled with violence. It was overwhelmed with violence. It was, vi it was industrial strength violence. It was violence everywhere. Violence on a grand scale. Now, I know this isn't good news, except Jesus said when you see all these things happening, get excited and lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. So... The reason I'm sharing messages like this is so that when you hear the news or read the news or see what's happening in our world, you don't panic, you don't get upset, you don't get depressed because God has everything under control and the Lord Jesus told us what to look for and that lets me know he's got it. And then the last thing, in Noah's time, there was universal apathy toward God and his call to repent. Universal apathy. Noah preached for 120 years to his generation. He stood up there, he hammered and built that ark every day, and he preached righteousness to his generation, warning them that judgment was coming, and not one convert walked into the ark with him. That's amazing to me. That's a hard heart. That's a dull heart. That is a heart, that is, that is a conscience that can no longer be convicted. Jesus said, now, now I'm not saying by quoting that that we're not going to see great harvest in the last days. We are. But he's letting us know cultures and nations and peoples and ethnicities are going to experience an increasingly hardened heart. Jesus said, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. We're told that men will be without natural affection in the last days. Mothers won't love their children naturally. Spouses won't love each other naturally. People won't love people naturally. The, 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 that natural affection that God planted in human beings will be seared by the abounding iniquity because iniquity always extinguishes love. Now, what about Lot's day? If that's what Noah's day looked like, and so we can know that that's what we're going to be seeing in this day and time, what about Lot's day? What did Lot's day look like? Jesus said, as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Well, like we did with Noah, we go to Genesis for the answer about Lot. Let me give you a quick little biographical sketch on Lot. Lot, who was he? Well, he was the nephew of the great patriarch Abraham. And when God called Abraham out of his hometown, called Ur, you are Ur, of the Chaldees, it says Lot went with him. The Bible says, Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son. 
and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. They traveled all that way. Abraham went all that way, and Lot went with him. Now, the Bible tells us a, pro- a problem arose as they were traveling, especially when, once they arrived in Canaan. Here's the problem. Both men had so increased in riches, cattle, herds, servants, children. The riches and their wealth had so increased that Lot's herdsmen were fighting with Abraham's herdsmen. And Abraham and Lot were kind of locking horns, and there was a lot of friction there. So Abraham offered a solution. He said to Lot, he said, now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me, Lot. If you take the left, I'll take the right. And if you go to the right, I'll take the left. And you know what you see there? You see the graciousness of Abraham. See, unity between brethren was so important to him that he said, you know what, Lot, if you take the best of the best, if you take the best out there, I'll let you have it rather than there being friction between you and me. I wonder how often we would do that, what we would sacrifice for unity. Because Abraham was willing to sacrifice Lot taking the best. He said, you go for it, nephew. You take what you want. The graciousness of Abraham. Abraham's a picture of the church there. We ought to, that's why the Bible says that we should strive, that we should struggle, we should fight to keep the unity of the faith in the bond of peace. Now, really, it should have been Lot saying to Uncle Abraham, you take what you want. God called you out of Ur of the Chaldees, not me. I'm just tagging along. But Abraham let him do it. Now, what Lot did next is I believe the reason why Jesus spoke about him. The Bible says that Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. Now I want you to notice, he looked, he saw, his eyes fell on the land that was surrounding Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible tells us the land surrounding those wicked cities was lush, beautiful, envious, and and, and Lot looked at it, and and Lot was thinking, ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. He was thinking money. He had cattle. He had herds. He had all these things, and he was thinking, that's the best land for me to release my cattle in and my herds and let them grow. What beautiful property. So, gee, Uncle Abe, if you don't mind, I'd like to take the pick of the crop. And Abraham said, you go for it, son. And he did it. Now, you should know today that though the land surrounding Sodom and Gomorrah was beautiful and to be envied and just luscious and rich, you should know that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were corrupt. They were very wicked. And the prophet Ezekiel describes Sodom like this. He says in chapter 16, verse 49, look, says Ezekiel, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. So he's about to list some sins of Sodom. Here we go. She and her daughter had pride. They had fullness of food. They had abundance of idleness. And neither did they strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. 
Now, that's what Sodom did wrong. So catch this now. Sodom was prosperous, had all they could ask for. As a matter of fact, they were so rich, they could afford to be idle. So they began to sit at home. They didn't have to go to work all the time. They didn't have to punch a clock. They didn't do eight to five, nine to five, whatever. They, They could be idle. They were so rich, so wealthy, so full of provision that they could afford to kick back and get lazy. They were very proud of their prosperity. Riches did not bring them closer to God. Riches made them turn to riches rather than God. On top of that, having so much, they looked at the poor who had nothing and said, huh, don't care. I'm totally insensitive to the needs of the poor and the needy. They could have fed all the poor. They could have had a, they could have had a, a, a real feeding ministry, but they didn't. They didn't give to the poor. They didn't care. And so they were selfish, self-centered, narcissistic. It was all about me and mine instead of you and yours. It was all about me. Their world was me, my needs, what I want, my extravagance, my luxury. Now, I got to go where the Bible goes here. We're living in a day of, some call it a culture war. It's really a spiritual war. And there is a great controversy out there right now about whether or not homosexuality is a sin, whether or not it really does is something that God has called wrong, And there is an incredible brainwashing going on about this. So I'm called to minister the word, not to tickle ears. I've got to tell you the truth. Because where else are you going to get the truth? Turn on the TV. Oh, there's nothing wrong with it. If you say something's wrong with it, you're a hater. You're a bigot. You're a hypocrite. You're this, you're that, the other. But Let me tell you, a lot of the defenders of homosexuality today point to these verses in Ezekiel. I've heard them do it. And they say, see, Sodom wasn't judged for homosexuality. Ezekiel listed what they were judged for. They were judged for being selfish, proud, and lazy. But they ignore the very next verse. Listen to verse 50. And, everybody say and. And means God's not done with the list. That's what it means. And. So it says, and they committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. You know what God's doing right there? He's calling homosexuality an abomination. Now, homosexuality is not the only sexual sin at all. Why is it an issue today? It's been made an issue. Do you know that in all the years I preached, I, 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 I could probably count on two hands the number of times I really preached about this issue because it really wasn't an issue, but it's been made an issue. And what concerns me is now it's getting into our schools, elementary schools, even as low as kindergarten, and children are being taught contrary to the Word of God. Am I a hater if I say this? No, I'm just quoting the book. That's it. I love everyone. Everyone has a sin. Everyone has an inclination towards sin. There's not a single person in here that is not tempted at one time or another to walk in fornication, which is a sexual sin. Sexual sin, there's many different sexual sins. Now, since you were born that way, 
You were born with a desire for a sexual union because that desire is, is, is rising up in you. Does that mean you're supposed to live in it? You're supposed to practice it? No. Sex has a context. Don't shout me down. The context is marriage. Now, the singles out there that love the Lord, if they say, well, you know what, because, because I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the urge to merge, then, then I'm just going to walk it out. No. God says, deny yourself, crucify yourself, walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, and wait for the right context for sex. So because they say, I'm born this way, well, even if they were, that doesn't mean you then go live it out. Every sexual desire is subject to the will of God. Okay. I know this is not a popular message, but it doesn't make me a hater. And if you think I'm a hater for saying it, you have been brainwashed. You have. Well, shouldn't we just love everybody? If somebody I know is doing something that's destroying them, their life, I don't love them if I don't say something. It's like a doctor saying, you know, I do x-rays and I, and I find cancer, but we don't talk about cancer around here. Follow me, church. This is very logical. What Jesus is literally saying is one of the signs that's going to mark the soon return of Christ is widespread, socially sanctioned homosexuality. Because that's what had happened in Sodom. Sodom had been totally overtaken by this sin. Now, it could have been overtaken by anything, theft, murder, anything. But it just so happens Sodom was overtaken by this one. Let God be true and every man a liar. And you know, no telling how many people in here are tempted towards that or maybe struggling with that. And what good am I doing you if I get up here and, and never address it and never say anything about it and let you go on in your own struggle? Doesn't it help to hear I'm on God's side if I'm resisting this? Now, there's another sign. There's another sign uh, from Lot's story that gives us a clue to what the last days are going to be like. Are you ready? As it was in the days of Lot, well, there will be widespread, socially sanctioned sexual perversion. What else? It'll be a time of great testing for the righteous. Now, watch this. Jesus warned in his prophetic discourse on the last days. Here's what he said. False Christ and false prophets will rise and show great wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect, and that's you. So Jesus is predicting that in the last days, there is going to be, it's going to be a time of great testing for the righteous, for those who know the Lord. And we see this by what happened to Lot. Because remember, Lot had been hanging around with walking for years with the most godly man on earth, God's friend, God's chosen servant, Abraham. So he, was, he had been around a man of faith, the father of our faith. So he understood faith, he understood a, a walk with God, he understood character, he understood morality. But Lot had a fatal flaw. 
It says that Lot was sight-driven and not wisdom-driven. He was driven by what he saw, not by what God said. He was driven by what he looked at, not what God counseled him. He, he had a fatal flaw. If he'd been wisdom-driven, he would never have chosen to move towards Sodom because the Bible says the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Notice it didn't say the men and women. It said the men. The men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. You know, if you're wicked, that's one thing, but if God puts an exceedingly in front of it, you're in trouble. Lot had a family, a wife, and a relationship with God to protect. But you know what he did? He made dangerous choices based on what he saw and wanted rather than on God's will and way. He, he saw and wanted. He did not seek the counsel of God on what to do. He looked and took. He did not pray and listen. So Lot had a fatal flaw. Now, look what this fatal flaw did, because he was driven by the side of his eyes, not by a walk of faith, not by the counsel of God, but driven by the side of his eyes. Now, look at what happened. Because of that, Lot ended up in a dire drift away from God. He had a fatal flaw, and he wound up in a dire drift away from God. The Bible says that once Lot chose the land where Sodom was, look at what he did. This amazes me. He pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. That's saying... Pretend this stage is Sodom. He got right there. Here's the outskirts, the edges of Sodom. He got right there. He pitched his tent. And you know the way he pitched his tent? The Bible says he pitched it facing Sodom. Wow. How do you spell stupid? Okay. He didn't, he didn't immediately move into Sodom. Oh, no, no, no. He did it incrementally, and that's the way the devil works on believers. He works incrementally. He knows he can't get you to fall overnight, so he works on you in incrementally. That's what he does. And I'm here today to blow his cover. Okay? He works on you incrementally. So let's look at how this happened to Lot. Lot, if you had told Lot where he was going to end up when he first went towards Sodom, he would have never believed you. But it says, he pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. He didn't immediately move in there, but he walked around the edges. So we could say that he danced around the flame or that he flirted with, with sin. This, this is where Lot began. He pitched that tent facing Sodom. So you know what that means? The, the tent flap, I assume they had a tent flap. They were big tents. But when he walked out the front flap in the morning, it says he saw Sodom. When he went to bed at night, he, he saw the lights of Sodom. Abraham and Canaan and everything that was righteous, Lot had put behind him. It was behind the tent. So when, when he woke up, he, he beheld Sodom. He looked at Sodom. He faced Sodom. He was faced with Sodom every day by his own choice. Now, let me ask you a question. How easy is it in our culture today to face Sodom? Oh, it's too easy. Now, you do know that we're in almost the equivalent of Sodom now. You're aware of that? Anybody not aware of that? Good. If you're not aware of that, come down. I'm going to lay hands on you and anoint you with enough oil to slide you into the next room and get you to wake up. Because we're living in, increasingly, the very land of Sodom. Watch this. Abraham and Canaan and everything that was righteous, it's behind him. And so the dire drift 
progressed. We see that he moved from the edges of Sodom until one day he said, Mrs. Lot, it's time to move. And they moved into the heart of Sodom. And then, unbelievably, he ended up in a place of leadership in Sodom. Leading Sin City. Leading a wicked place. He's a man of God. He's the nephew of the greatest man of God in the face of the earth. And what in the world is he doing? He's compromising himself. That's what he's doing. When God sent his angels to bring judgment on the city, we read the two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. That means the the gate was sort of like the city council building of those days at the gates of the cities where the elders would gather and make major decisions over the city. So Lot went from on the edges to living in it to actually helping rule it. Wow. See, getting away from God doesn't normally happen like that. It happens like this. It's that gentle slope that leads down. It's like getting in that life raft in the ocean, you know, you get, and you're just a few feet out. You kick back. You're at the ocean. It's beautiful. The sun is shining. You fade. You have some good dreams. You wake up, and you are way out there. That's the dire drift Lot was in. Any re- reservations that he and Mrs. Lot may have had about this wicked city had had faded with time. As a matter of fact, they became what you and I have got to really watch out for. They became desensitized to deviancy. Sodom defined deviancy down. That's why we've got to stay in the Word. This is why I get in the Word every single day, because this Word, it says, receive with meekness the engrafted Word which is able to save your soul. Well, wait a minute. The blood saves my soul, so it can't be talking about that. So what does it mean? It means that the Word of God saves you and me from a dire drift. It it saves us from being desensitized to sin. You know what amazes me now about America? I cannot believe the things that no longer shock America. We just look at things now, they're on TV, on the internet. We look at things now that, that, that 20 years ago we would have said, oh, what in the world? But now we just, huh. You know why? Because after you've seen so many murders and so much sin and so much sexuality, finally you become desensitized to what grieves God. I believe Mr. and Mrs. Lot said this to themselves. Well, maybe it's not so bad after all if we want to move into Sodom. Uh, you know, that's a beautiful city. We'll move in among them. We just won't become like them. You ever said that to yourself? After all, let's be truthful. There's a lot of money to be made in Sodom. It's a very rich city. So let's just make our money, store up our 401k, and boogie. It won't affect us. We're strong. We walk with God. My my uncle is Abraham. But look what happened to him. Mm, Slow train wreck. 
When the angels came into the city to see if what had ascended to heaven about Sodom was true, and they found Lot at the gate, here's what they found. They found a compromised man. He had a fatal flaw. He lived by the side of his eyes. He was in a dire drift away from God. And you know what? Those two things got him into a terrible trap. That fatal flaw and dire drift got him into a terrible trap. The devil never tells you where he's really taking you. He never tells you where he's really taking you. His job is to make wrong look right and bad look good. And evil look righteous. That's his job. So he didn't come to you with a tail and a, in a red suit and a pitchfork and horns. He comes to you as something beautiful, something awesome, something extraordinary, something appealing, something seductive, something luring that appeals to, to your flesh at the very core. That's what he comes to you with. He ended up in a terrible trap. Boy, did he have regrets. Peter says, For that righteous man, Lot, living among them day after day, was tormented in his righteous soul, tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. See, he was a righteous man, but he was a compromised man. And every single day he woke up. Let me tell you what he saw. He saw sexual perversion in front of his eyes, and then he heard perverse things. And for, for his soul that knew God, it vexed him, it tormented him every single day. Anybody experiencing that in our culture right now? Don't you experience that sometimes? The way that we're making wrong right and right wrong and bad good and good bad. And if you stand on the side of good, you're bad. And if you stand on the side of bad, you're good. Is that vexing anybody like it does me sometimes? Welcome to Sodom. And welcome to the very setting and civilization Jesus said would exist before his return. So here's another sign to look for prior to Jesus' return. A society that is so pervasively wicked and seductive that only those believers that stick like glue to God and his word will survive and remain pure. See, you're going to have to walk like this. <laughs> Here, here's the word. That's the way you're going to have to walk. I love the Word of God and, and, and the God of the Word. Because if you stay with this Word every single day, the Bible says, whoever loves your Word will not be offended, and there will be no cause of stumbling in them. Now, here's the good news. Abraham successfully avoided Sodom and went on to possess the land. So let me give you what I know. By Scripture, in the last days, you're either going to be a compromised lot, or you're going to be an obedient Abraham. It's going to be those kind of people in the church, those two kinds of people, a compromised lot or an obedient Abraham. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be an obedient Abraham. By God's grace and help, I will. And I want a church that is an obedient Abraham, that is, that is obtaining the promises by faith and by patience. I want an obedient Abraham church that is shining like a light, reaching the lost, preaching the gospel, staying with the blood, staying with the cross, staying with the word. And soon and very soon, that church is going to see the king. Amen. Now I want to share one last sign that Jesus gave us. When he pointed to Noah and Lot, keep in mind that the world of Noah's day was totally caught off guard by the flood. Jesus said, they knew not. 
After 120 years of preaching, they knew not until Noah entered the ark and God shut the door and big raindrops began to fall. Only then did the light go off and they said, oh no, he wasn't the crazy man down the street. He was a prophet. And the flood came and took them all away. In the same way, nobody in Sodom knew what was coming at all. It took them by total surprise. I thought about it. That last morning in Sodom, the last day of Sodom. They rolled out of bed, brushed their teeth, got ready for work, sent the kids off to school, and said, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Isn't life great? We don't even have to go to work. We've got so much. Meanwhile, if you had gone outside the city and just looked over the horizon, you would have seen, is that lot running? And, and, and look at Mrs. Lot. She's really running with him. And his two daughters are also running. And who are those two strangers with them? All six of them running. You would have seen that. You would have said that. And that's it. In a flash, it was gone. That was your last memory. And the fire of God fell. Jesus said as it was in the days of Noah and Lot. That's the way it's going to be in the days when I return. Nobody's going to be expecting it. Nobody is going to be looking for it. The world at large is going to be going, buying, selling, marrying, giving in marriage, eating, drinking, building, investing. And he's going to come like that, like a thief in the night. Suddenly, the world will be caught off guard totally. Jesus said in a very graphic depiction, he said, here's what it's going to be like. And he, and he wasn't using metaphor here. He was telling us exactly what's going to happen. I tell you, Jesus said, in that night, there's going to be two men in one bed. The one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women are going to be grinding together, working together. One is going to be taken and the other left. Two men are going to be out in the field. How you doing, Bill? Oh, great, Bob. Well, it's another day. Here we go. And then Bill will turn to Bob, who is no longer there. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that word moment is taken from the Greek word atomos. We get atom from that word. It means a moment of time that you can't split. It's so fast. They're not, you're not going to see millions of people just drifting up. You're going to see, you're going to be there. You're going to be going through the motions of life, and suddenly you're going to be looking at Jesus. People are going to be asleep as usual, working as usual, going about normal life as usual, and Jesus is going to come. Are you ready for that? Boy, if there ever there was a day not to be in a dire drift, it's today. If ever there was a day that if you have a question mark about your salvation, today's the day to settle it. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Because there is going to be a time when God will shut essentially the door of the ark and he will come and it will be too late. So let me sum all this up and we're going to close. Based on the record of Noah and Lot, when Jesus referred to them, 
It's going to be like their time. Here's what we can expect to see. Widespread apostasy as people depart from the Christian faith. It's happening right now. I know you've got to be aware of it. Whole denominations are throwing the Bible out so that they can become friends with the world. Second thing we can expect to see is pervasive, increasingly depraved wickedness in men. Let me tell you, you and I are going to see things that are going to shock us, and we're going to say a lot, how could they have done that? Third thing Jesus said, widespread, increasingly pervasive violence. Not everyday run-of-the-mill violence, but worldwide, pervasive, bloodletting, cruel violence. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, and in the days of Noah, the earth was filled with violence. Fourth thing, widespread apathy towards the warnings of God. Now, I'm believing, and I believe we will see a great harvest in 2014 and in the years to come. But the day is going to arrive, folks, when men's hearts are going to get so hard that the gospel will, will fall off of them like water off a duck's back. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, there was universal apathy towards the warnings of God. And the last thing we're going to see, and we're seeing right now, are we not widespread, socially sanctioned sexual perversion? Do you know that our government has stated that one of their goals is to export homosexuality and acceptance of it to the nations of the world? They have stated that that is one of our goals. Our country has become evangelists for that cause. But Jesus said, I see it coming 21 centuries from now where the whole world is going to amen sexual perversion, just like it was in the days of Lot. Look around you. Are these things happening? Well, what did Jesus say? Well, he said it's going to get darker for the world but lighter for the true church. He said it's going to get worse for the world, but it's going to get better for the true believers in Christ. I want to give you a good word. Jesus said, when you see all these things taking place, don't be dismayed, don't get depressed, don't get discouraged, but instead lift up your heads. Your redemption draws near. That's what he said. And, and, and I want to encourage you something today. He said, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You say, Pastor Jeff, I can't stand up against all this stuff. No, you can't, and I can't either. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if God be for us, who can be against us? And we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself for us. Amen. So let's stand up and let's look up, church, and let's lift our hands to the Lord God. Say, Lord, we thank you that your word is true. Lord, may I be an Abraham and not a compromised lot. Help me to obtain the promises by faith and patience and to walk with you as the day approaches, that my light would be burning, my walk would be pure. And I would say, good to see you, Jesus, instead of, oh no. 
And Lord, help us as a church. Pray this with me, church. Help us as a church to reach into the highways and the byways, the towns and the cities, and share Jesus with those that are in the dark and to fill up the ark of the new covenant with as many souls as we can reach.